Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, Jim. Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Rabbi. We don't share time zones, but we're sharing weather conditions, aren't we? Uh, I understand you're having one of the coldest winters in, in Yerushalayim. We are. We are expecting freezing temperatures tonight, and uh, we are expecting a snowstorm and 100-kilometer-a-mile winds. Five degrees yesterday uh, here where I live in northwest Arkansas, and to, and this morning it's a balmy 17 degrees above zero. So anyway, a very an interesting uh, Parsha this week, Truma. Seemingly, on the page, it's very small. It's like the Mishkan. When you went inside, it sort of defied time and space, right? Well, there is a teaching exactly about the Ark of the Covenant that it actually defies space because it doesn't even fit inside the measurements that are given for the Holy of Holies. It's with the wingspan of the Kruvim, it doesn't it doesn't fit, and so the idea is that it's it doesn't really occupy any any space in this world. It's above space, like you say. You know what, Jim? Everything is changing so drastically now as we begin this Torah portion of Parshat Truma, Exodus 25, because the shift is changing so drastically from Parshat Mishpatim. Of last week's Torah portion was all about Hashem's desire for justice and for uh, you know proper society for for His creations in this world. And now we're kind of like shifting to to his request to be let into this world, to be to be welcomed into this world, which would be a first since since the Garden of Eden, and it's a completely different dynamic. And in a way, the the Torah shifts now completely from this point. It's it's like honestly, Jim, everything has been leading up to this point because because all throughout the book of Genesis, which is the foundations of creation, which is the foundations of humanity, which is the foundations of the people of Israel and all the themes that had to be worked out in the book of creation, the book of Genesis. And then we come into the Egyptian servitude and we come into the miracles of the exodus from Egypt and we come into the splitting of the sea, we come into the desert, we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai and it's all really for one purpose and that is to enter into the land and to build the holy temple and of course the desert tabernacle which is described in these two and a half Torah portions that we were beginning this week, that was the first stage of the of the of the fulfillment of the commandment that we find in Exodus 25 and verse 8, and they shall make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell among them, was first fulfilled through the wandering, modest, collapsible um, desert tabernacle. And then once the people settled in the land and Mount Moriah was established through the prophet, the prophet Samuel and through King David as the place that Hashem had originally chose from the very beginning of creation to rest his presence forever. So then that became the place of the temple. But what this is, this is all about, you know, I, I got to tell you something. There was a rabbi. There was a very great rabbi. The story is told about this, this, this rabbi that, you know, it says in the Torah many, many times the, the expression, 
that Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, right? It must be, I haven't counted how many times, but there are many, many, many times throughout the Torah yeah. that, that, is, that Hashem gives over something to Moshe. And it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying. So it's told about this rabbi that he was about to teach his students. You know, he had all his students. And uh, he would he would start reading those chapters, and as soon as he said the words, and Hashem said to Moshe, saying he would pass out, he would pass out on the floor, and it needed to be revived, and he would be lying there, and they would say to him, "Oh, Rebbe, Rebbe, our master, like what happened?" And he said, "Did you hear that? Hashem spoke to Moshe. Hashem spoke." To Moshe, and then he would get woozy and he would pass out again because he couldn't get past the fact that here we are, you know, learning that Hashem spoke to Moshe. I feel the same way about the verse that Hashem said, and they shall make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell among them. I feel I feel the same way about that verse because it's it's so it's such a trip to understand that Hashem is saying, I want to be in this world. It's so different than everything else in the world. The Torah now takes a takes a sharp uh, turn. And everything now becomes about this world, but in a whole new way, we know, we know that the Torah is about sanctifying this world and about elevating human existence to divine purpose and, and about hooking up with God and about letting God into this world. But here from God's perspective, it's so amazing. I mean, la- last week in the end of Parshat Mishpatim, right? Moshe ascends Mount Sinai and he stays there for 40 days and 40 nights. That was at the very end of last week's Torah portion, right? Now, we are basically from the perspective, and this is this is what I also can't get over. This is also what makes me absolutely faint. Do you realize that this is this is a um, the perspective that we have now as a fly on the wall? In other words, we are now observing something very intimate because all of these commandments. Here, you have to really open up your heart in the deepest way because this is such an unbelievable thing, and people get confused. Th- this Torah portion now of Parshat Truma, beginning in 25.1. And by the way, it starts with Hashem spoke to Moses saying, right? Speak to the children of Israel, let them take from me a portion from every man whose heart motivates him, you should take me my portion. Then all the descriptions of the tabernacle and the ark and the table and the menorah and the coverings and and, and everything, right? And the, and the altar and the courtyard. And then Parshat Titzaveh, the next Torah portion, in, including the, you know, the, the priestly garments. These things were, were taught by Hashem to Moshe on Mount Sinai during those 40 days and 40 nights. And he doesn't give over these commandments until he comes down. And after the incident of, he, he comes down in Parshat Kitisa, and then he is confronted with the golden calf. And then he needs to, he needs to make that right. And so he goes back up. He goes, he goes back up for another 40 days and 40 nights. And then finally uh, he comes down and he gives over the commandment of the, all these commandments, and it, and that is the day after Yom Kippur, and that begins in in uh, in Parshat uh, Vayakil, and that is actually in in chapter thirty five of the Book of Exodus. So, what my point is that all of these these uh, commandments that we're going to be learning about now in this week's Torah portion, this is what Hashem was talking about with Moshe on Mount Sinai. Yeah. This is a recording. Why, why did I say fly on the wall? Because this is a recording of of their 
study session. Hashem is, is teaching Moshe about all these details, and this is one of the one of the uh, exceptional and amazing illustrations of of the of the synchronicity and the chronology of how this is working here. Because because then Moshe comes down and he repeats everything in Parshat Vayakra Pekudi, the last two Torah portions of, of Exodus. Everything is repeated again because then he's first telling over the people. So so even this is this is an amazing idea, even though. We know that God taught Moshe everything there is to know during the time that he was on Mount Sinai, all of the details pertaining to all of the commandments and how they're to be fulfilled in every age and climb and all of the and all the particulars. The Torah bothers to record an extra two and a half portions of of these commandments because this was so important to Hashem, this idea of him being in this world. And I, and I all I've been saying like for 30 years. It's not about a building. It's not about a building. We're not obsessed with a building. This is not about a structure, an edifice. It's not about a, a magnificent building. It's not about a synagogue. It's a concept. And the concept is that Hashem wants to be in this world and that we can bring him in. But it's so much more than that even. It's it's the idea of faith translated into action and 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 living on a completely different level of reality with a God consciousness that changes every aspect of our lives. And frankly, Jim... We're living now in a, in a. I'm sorry to say, but it's we, we are sliding uh, collectively as a as a family. Man seems to be sliding into a dystopian, dysfunctional, bad dream of manipulative and exploitive forces that are keeping people down and that are and that are basically um, using fear tactics and mm-hmm. other types of social pressure to to uh, exact specific political and other ag- social agendas and everything that we're learning about here is the very opposite of that it's yeah it's 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 like it's a war against it's a war between hashem and forces of light and forces of darkness and that leads us i to let you talk right now but that leads us to the next idea that we need to speak about which is particular to this shabbat and that is the eternal war against amalek yeah, what I wanted to address was, uh, on the surface, looks like a contradiction in terms, because we're always talking about, uh, in terms of how Hashem is um, is is always, his, and this is very appropriate as we, as we approach uh, the, the celebration of Purim next week, in the, because one of the main dynamics going on in Megillah Esther is the fact that God's name never appears, and that even her name means hidden. And on the one hand, we have a, a world created by Hashem, by God, where um, He's hidden Himself in the world so that we can have free will. So when when God says to tells the to the people of he says tell the people of Israel that I want you to prepare uh, uh, a a um, a situation and a place and a people where I can dwell. Well, that almost sounds contradictory. If if, if God is everywhere uh, and we look for Him, would would it be would it be more accurate to say? Uh, and I'm not trying to change up the idea, but would it be more accurate to say that when he says, I want to dwell is that I want to be revealed by revealed to you so that when the world looks at you, it will reveal my, that I am in the world. 
is it? I, I love what you're. I love what you're saying, and then here's how I would like to tone it, and and um, and look at it this way. Okay, so I, I mentioned the rabbi who would faint every time he said. Oh, Hashem spoke to Moshe because that was like, wow, could you imagine Hashem spoke to Moshe? And I'm mentioning that, you know, the same feeling I'm I'm getting from this verse, you know, that Hashem said, I want, I want to dwell in this world. Let them have ha, tell them to make me a sanctuary so that I'll dwell among them. So speaking about this, Jim, there's an incredible midrash that I think sums up this whole thing, what you're what you're saying, what I want to say. And this is it, okay? So, so you you know that um, in Kings, in the Book of Kings, in in chapter six, is it chapter six? And uh, in the first Kings, where Shlomo Hamelech, where King Solomon finally dedicates the first temple, chapter eight, he dedicates the first temple, and he says in his prayer to Hashem, you know, Hashem, the heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot possibly contain you. How much less this house, right? So here's what the midrash says about this week's Torah portion. It's in the name of one Rabbi Yehuda ben Bar Shimon, who said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. And this is the teaching. He said, what, there are three things that Moshe heard from the Almighty that made him so startled that he, that he tripped backwards. The three, three particular things that Hashem said to Moshe that made him actually recoil with shock. And one of them was when Hashem said, to Moshe, make me a sanctuary. And this is the words of the Midrash. So Moshe said before the Holy One, blessed be he, master of the universe. And then he quoted that verse, which was to be said later by Solomon. Behold, the heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot possibly contain you. How could you ask us to build you a house? So this is the this is like the open up your heart in the deepest way thing here. The Holy One, blessed be he, answered Moshe. He said, Moshe, you're mistaken. It's not what you think. All you need, all I need is 20 boards on the north, 20 boards on the south, and eighth boards on the west, and I will descend and contract my divine presence, the Shekhinah, to be among you down below. And uh, as it says in Exodus 25, 22, and I will meet with you there. So so what, what is the idea is that I think... <clears throat> Like you, like you're saying about being about being revealed. It's it's that, and it's also this idea. I think what this midrash is is um, is really emphasizing is that when we think about God, who has no beginning and no end, we think about our and we and we consider our fleeting, uh, ridiculous existence in His eyes. How <laughs> in how inconsequential we feel, and how and how. Um, unimportant we feel so then the reaction is going to be how could you serve a god like this how, how could we possibly do anything that would be in any way fitting to his incredible endless magnificence how could we do how could we duly pay homage and honor a god like that you know and and what and what you could take that further and say what we what we really would be saying is we don't deserve hashem in this world and he wouldn't be interested in this world and it it doesn't work so this is what the midrash is 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 um addressing with this beautiful concept that hashem said no 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 moshe you're wrong you're wrong because hashem says to, to moshe make me a sanctuary and moshe like he recoils, he faints backwards like that, like that rabbi in the story. He says, what, make you a house? And Hashem says, no, put up some boards, meaning he's referring, of course, to the tabernacle, 20 boards to the, to the north, 20 boards to the south, eight boards to the white, I'm coming. 
And I think that what that shows the most is Hashem, Hashem is saying, I want you to want me. I want you to want me, and it's not rocket science. I didn't ask for the Tajma. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't ask for. I'm. 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 I am. I am saying. To, obviously, later when the children of Israel were able to create a beautiful temple, they did. But Hashem is saying that's that's not what it's about. I'm going to be with you right now in the desert. I can't wait to be with you. So it's like it's like Hashem is saying, and this is really here. This is it. This is it. Open part deepest way. This is the message to me of the temple is that Hashem is saying, I love you. I love this world. This is the world that I created. This is the world that counts. And contrary to the self-defeating, self-immolating, dystopian kind of feeling that people get, which is like, there's no point in anything. Everything is basically arbitrary. Life is arbitrary. Life is not redeemable. Hashem is saying, no, the opposite is true. I, I want to be in this world, and, er and everything will change when I'm in this world with you. So, yeah, so yes, he is everywhere, like Shlomo HaMalek said. What do, you, what do you mean? Like I, The heavens and the heavens of heavens don't contain you. I'm going to build you a house. But Hashem is saying, if you want me, I want to give you a way of focusing your entire energy and your entire spiritual uh, pinings and aspirations on my presence so that what ha what happened was when we think about this process okay the jewish people are growing up into a nation in egypt in the midst of the murkiness of the midst of the of the squalor and, and of the swill of bondage with, and, and the occult and the dark the darkness of egypt they 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 grow up there they're liberated from there they burst forth into the desert they they already are bringing the gift of freedom to the world, and now they're going to be be bringing the gift of Torah to the world, and they and By the and way. there they are in the desert, mm -hmm. and Hashem is commanding them build this thing, and then He gives them the pattern of how all their tribes are going to be arranged all around it, and everywhere they go now for the next forty years, they're going to be walking like one man with one heart, centered, focused completely on God in their midst, and this was this was in itself a total revelation to the world that Israel was bringing over to the world and say, and proclaiming just through their very stay in the desert just the way they're just the way they're living in the desert all the camps around the tabernacle basically saying look it's possible for a nation to be in this world and yet totally focused on god yeah. And, you know, what's beautiful about all this is this now explains why a seemingly random Parsha precedes uh, Parsha Truma, which is the design for the tabernacle and uh, the Ark of the Covenant and, and, and the, the so-called uh, the, the vessels that go in. What what happened last week? What what was suddenly here is this Parsha Mishpatim, which is almost like a um, a parenthetical chapter in the Torah. And what does God do? He says, "Look, uh, this is how this is how you talk to uh, uh, this is how you treat your your servants, the the lowliest of people in your, in your nation." Uh, and this is what this is what else I want you to do. I want you to set up these laws between each other. And I want you to observe the three festivals. And the, the entire thing, even the name of the Parsha, Mishpatim, the, the, the judgments, the justice, before he's just given them the recipe on when they're ready to build the, the, the tabernacle for him to dwell in. And that is, 
The first thing you have to do is you have to pursue justice. What was the reason, what was one of the reasons that Hashem chose Avraham to be the father of these people? It is a man who said, it was who, who knew about pursuing justice. It's like you go back, you go back to the to this creation story. And what what is the first thing that Hashem does to precede uh, the the creation story is nature, which is all about rules and formulas that conform to the, the to, to rules. You know, two plus two is four. You know, water is wet. So we come to a, a situation now where all of these laws, he says, you need to observe these laws. Even even the simple thing like the, the theft of a cow, you bring righteousness in your everyday life, and I'm ready to come and dwell with you. You can build the tabernacle. That explains what Mishpatim is doing right before Truma. Yes, very much so. And I think that what the, the message of the temple brings to the whole world and to all of our listeners that love Hashem and the Torah and uh, those amongst the nations as well that are struggling in their own lives with such tremendous courage and valor against uh, pagan ideas that they have left behind and all, and, 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 and all sorts of things that make it difficult for them to cling to the Torah. Everything in our lives is such a test of faith. And, yeah. and the whole concept that we are now learning and that the Torah is going to be focusing on now is Hashem in our midst, and and everything that goes on in the Holy Temple, of course, is a, is part of a program of imbuing all aspects of human endeavor with transcendental meaning and 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 bridging like all the worlds, so that Hashem's light is able to come into the world, which is like again the opposite of there is, there is today, Jim, a a. Um, uh, Goal or some some sort of some sort of um, campaign that's being waged on many many levels, which is anti faith, which is about obliterating the presence of God in the world. It's a desensitizing of uh, in general of spiritual values and a cheapening of life, a a a, a, um, a, a terrible cheapening of the values of. Um, Everything that the Torah represents in terms of in terms of uh, polishing our our higher nature, um, elevating our souls, and and all the different parts of this plot, whether it's whether it is um, social unrest, um, ge- gender confusion, all sorts of di- of of of. Um, of subplots are being woven into a, a global kind of um, frontal attack on faith in Hashem. That attack is not coincidentally, and this is very important to put, to um, emphasize, not coincidentally associated with another theme of this week, and that is Amalek. Because this Shabbat is also features, in addition to the weekly Torah reading, which this week is Parshat Truma, which begins in Exodus 25, we're also going to be reading an additional Torah reading, just a few verses. The Maftir, the additional Torah reading, is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, and it is about the commandment to remember the evil of Amalek and to eradicate it from the face of the earth. What is the reason for this? So, just as last week was a special uh, Shabbat called Shabbat Shkalim, 
which was the Sabbath of the declaration of the half shekel. And we read from Parshat Kitisa, an additional Torah reading, because of the fact that in temple times there's an announcement made about bringing the half shekel temple census on Rosh Chodesh Adar. And so the first Shabbat in the month of Adar is always Shabbat Shkalim. There are four special, they're called the four special parshiot that precede Passover. Um, they are Shkalim, and then Zachor, and then Parshat Para, which is going to be read in the Torah portion of Kitisa, which is an additional Torah por- reading from Parshat Chukat in Numbers about the red ha- the red cow, the red heifer, because part of the preparations for, for Passover are for purification through the red heifer. And then finally, we have Shabbat HaChodesh, which is the, sh- the first Shabbat of the new moon of the month of Nisan. But this Shabbat is called Parshat Zachor. And on this Shabbat, which is always Shabbat Zachor, which means remember, is always the Shabbat before Purim. And on Purim, of course, we're going to be celebrating the downfall of Haman, who was a descendant of Amalek, and his plot to destroy the people of Israel. So this week's Torah portion is going to be supplemented with what's called Parshat Zachor, which are the verses in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 19 that read, Remember what Amalek did to you on the road on your way out of Egypt, that he encountered you, or I would translate that he happened upon you, on the way and cut off those lagging to your rear when you were tired and exhausted. He did not fear God. And it shall come to pass when Hashem, your God, has given you rest from all your enemies round about in the land where Hashem, your God, is giving you for an inheritance to possess it, that you shall del- obliterate the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. Do not forget. So this is a, a very extraordinary kind of commandment and widely misunderstood and abused by many pundits and, and critics because it seems to be that basically the Torah is here uh, prescribing that we wipe out a particular people. And indeed, there was at one time of a particular people. Um, in fact, um, King Saul had been given a job to do and he was to wipe out the permanently, once and for all, the nation of Amalek. But he did not rise to the occasion, and he spared Agag, the king of Amalek. Right. And Haman, our arch-rival in the Purim story, is called the Agagi, right? Because he was a direct descendant of, of King Agag, because in the time from, from which King Saul uh, apprehended and seized Agag until Samuel found out about that and came and slew him himself, Agag uh, copulated and uh, Haman came into the world (laughs) from Saul's misplaced mercy. And it's a famous teaching of our sages. He who is merciful to the cruel will end up being cruel to the merciful. Yeah, that that uh, that little uh, night of uh, you know pl- wanton pleasure between Agag and and this girl uh, is 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 the model for that for that saying, and I, I think it's always important to remember uh, the fact that that uh, Agag is this direct descendant. The um, there's a uh, in Exodus seventeen eight to um, 16, the verse, it's the verse, it, um, 
This speaks about blotting out his name. You know what the gematria for that for that uh, phrase is? It's fifty-four. How many times is the is uh, the name of Haman appear in the Megillah Esther? Tell me, fifty-four times. Wow, isn't that crazy? That's amazing. And I think it's important to remember this because people who are not familiar with the story and who who have been taught the uh, the wrong headed the misconception of this commandment to blot out the memory of Amalek. The, they have to remember a couple of things. First of all, uh, for the prophet to even say that to the king, it was, uh, it was directly appropriate because they were engaged in direct military warfare with Amalek at that time. It was a full-scale war. And and the reason, and we see this in the story. But Hashem of, had already of given this commandment. It wasn't right. Samuel's idea. Hashem commanded it. Right. But I mean, he's reinforcing it. Right. He's, he, with his actions. But the point being is the commandment had been given already because because what because of what happened in the desert between Amalek and and the nation of Israel. So I want and, to talk about that also. Yeah. But what I want to say is is that for, for the people need to remember first of all this was this was military conflict. They were literally faced with an existential threat of losing their lives against this wanton enemy who hated God and anyone who represented God and and uh, let me for no other reason this. for no other for reason no other, other than exactly. for the sake of hate itself. Exactly. And but by the way, the hatred came because this was a grandson of Esau, and he fed that hatred down. All of the descendants were taught at the knees of their parents to hate Israel because they, quote, stole the blessing, which, of course, is a lie. But but here's what's important. What we see in the story of Esther is the reason that Hashem said you need to wipe out the blot out the memory of these people is because if you don't, what will happen, Rabbi? It, it almost happened in, in Megillah Esther, because if you don't w- wipe out Amalek, they will wipe you out. They will blot you out. And and uh, anyway, go ahead. I, well, you know, well we, 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 don't, we don't have to be Hashem's apologists. And this is this is the issue no. here if, if, of whether or not a person believes that the Torah is divine. And if a person doesn't believe it, they don't believe it. But the fact is. In Hashem's own words, back back where the where, where the attack took place in Parshat B'Shalach, that jam-packed Torah portion that we had a few weeks ago, which begins with the splitting of the sea and goes on to the to the uh, sweetening of the water and the, and the water from the rock and and the man the manna at the at, at after the crossing of the sea, um, we have this incredible uh, section at the end of Parshat B'Shalach, it's back in in, uh, Exodus 17, that Amalek came and battled Israel in Rafidim. And Moshe said to Yoshua, choose people to go out to battle, and I'll stand on the top of the hill with my staff, right? And uh, and Aaron and Hor uh, supported him, right? And then... Uh, and 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 they were they were victorious in that battle, right? And, I, and then Hashem said to Moshe in verse fourteen, "Write this as a remembrance in the book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I, sh- I that Hashem speaking, that I shall surely erase the memory of Amalek from under the heavens." Moshe built an altar and called its name. Hashem is my miracle, and he said, "For the hand is on the throne of God." Hashem maintains a war against Amalek from generation to generation. Hashem swore an oath. That it's his war, it's his battle from generation to generation, because the battle of Amalek is not against Israel, it's against 
God Himself, and more and more so, it's yeah. against it's against the presence of of God in this world. So th- that's why it's such an incredible um, companion. The way that it came out in Hashem's timing this week that it's actually the Shabbat of Parsha Truma, because Parsha Truma is all about Hashem's desire to be in this world, and Amalek is all about kicking Hashem out of this world. So right. wouldn't you so, say, wouldn't you go ahead? I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead please. I, I was, yeah, I, I was just going to say that, 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 uh, for those of out there who are wringing their hands over, oh my God, uh, Jim and the rabbi are suggesting a uh, genocide of Amalek. No, here's, here's what God is saying. And you can tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong, rabbi, uh, the, first of all, there is, there is no people called Amalek in the world today yet the the mindset the worldview of amalek is sadly very much alive in the world today so how do we how do we how does israel and god's people and anyone who loves god how do we fulfill this this commandment? Well, Jenny, I, I want we, to explain this commandment now because because yeah, of what you're saying because, exactly. I, I don't want people yeah. to think that 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 we're prescribing genocide, even though Hashem apparently did at this time. Now we're talking about a spirit that's in the world. There is no particular right. people now that is called Amalek. If you, you want, people want to say that the Nazis were Amalek. I mean, why can't I say that Iran is Amalek if if Iran uh, continuously uh, touts, preaches, and and espouses the idea of a world without Zionism, which means they admit a world in which Jews are not granted their right to exist as a nation. That is Amalek right there, right? But wait. Yeah. So what happened? What happened here is is in in Deuteronomy twenty five. It's I me- I mentioned that this is not um, this is important. These words that that he encountered you on the way, which in Hebrew is Asher Karcha. Karcha Baderech, which literally means he happened upon you, like happenstance, like coincidence, mikre. He happened upon you. So first of all, that is part of the Amalek mystique, part of the Amalek uh, persona and and um, raison d'etre is to convince a person because don't forget, everything about Amalek is anti-God, anti-God, anti-God. And so Amalek is like, don't you know, everything is just, it stuff happens. It's all random. just random. It's all yeah. just coincidence. I happened upon you. I pounced upon you. Things happen. Things pounce upon you because there is no God. And so and so, Asher uh, Korcha, that he happened upon you, is also looked upon by our sages uh, because it's the same root, Kufresh, as, as the word Kar, which means cold. And the idea is that one of the ways that Amalek attacks a person is by saying, don't be so excited about God. Don't be so excited. Don't think there's really God in the world. And and the idea is that, that this converse, verse can actually be translated, not that he encountered upon you on the way or that he happened upon you, but that he cooled you off. He cooled you off. And this has to do with one of the great secrets that we speak about very often, which is that uh, for, for our listeners and, uh, who appreciate gematria, which is a, a very interesting level of Torah interpretation, which is the, the numerical value of the words and letters, everybody knows that a malik has the same numerical value as the word safek, which means doubt. 
Because one of the one of this is all connected to the tree of knowledge, as is everything. And the idea is that when Adam ate from the tree of knowledge, and everything got all mixed up, good and bad, and and like you say, everything is about free will. Everything is about our ability to choose, which is what Hashem's plan is. But it's very hard to distinguish sometimes between good and evil, because things are mixed up. And the most difficult thing of all is doubt. And so the most, most, most difficult thing of all, which is the greatest tool that the, the Yetzahara has against a person to drag a person down, is self-doubt. And so what, what we are taught by our great masters is that what Amalek really tries to do to a person is say, you know what, if I can just paraphrase Linda Ronstadt, you're no good. That's what, the, that's what Amalek says to a person, you know what, you're no good. You don't think that Hashem really loves you. Don't think that anything that you do matters in this world. Don't think that you can bring good into this world. Don't think that you can elevate existence. Don't think that God wants to be in this world. Don't think that he really wants to have a temple. Don't think that you can make any difference whatsoever because everything just happens. It's just arbitrary. So just forget about it. And that is such unbelievable chutzpah. Chutzpah. That's, that's what he is all about. And so that's why we are, we are so, so first of all, Hashem says it's my battle. It's my battle because I, my name in this world will not be complete until that is gone, until that spirit is gone from the world. But, but you, I, what I want you to do is I want you to remember. I mean, I, I mean, after all, you know, the Jewish people have suffered such heavy blows throughout the generations of so many enemies, but there's only one enemy that the Torah actually commands Israel to exact this as you as we'd call it, divine retribution, re- revenge. It's only one enemy that the Torah actually commands Israel to totally destroy, and that is Amalek. And the reason, like you already mentioned, Jim, that Amalek is is seen by Hashem himself as deserving of that treatment is because Amalek's attack was meaningless and for no other reason other than hatred. If they attacked for no reason. So they represent more than just godlessness. They are anti-God. They are committed to the obliteration of God. And thus we find the pledge of God, as we've, as I read here in the end of Bishalach in Exodus 17, the hand is on the throne. Because basically, we're, we're, why are we told to obliterate a malik? Because we're, we're, so, we're told that we cannot compromise when it comes to the existence of evil in this world. It's, this is an unbelievable thing. This is, a, this is a divine call. We are commanded to obliterate evil from this world. Hello, look out the window. Look out the window, right? Now listen, this is an unbelievable thing. Because, because what happens is, in, in, in Parshat B'Shalach, right? So... I want to read an unbelievable verse to you. And it's right before they attacked in, in Exodus 17. The last verse before they attacked, right? It reads like this. It says, he, okay, this is the place where he, where he uh, hit the rock and the water came out. He called Moshe, he called the place Maseh Omeriva, right? Because of the contention of the children of Israel and because of their test of Hashem saying, is Hashem among us or not? And then the next verse is, Amalek came and battled Israel and refuted him. So the idea of this verse, like them saying, after being delivered from the house of bondage and from the sword of Pharaoh, after seeing the 10 plagues, after the splitting of the sea, for the idea of them saying, uh, is Hashem with us or not? It, and then he, he, here's Amalek, 
It, I mean, the, the juxtaposition of these two verses is bone chilling. That they said, mm-hmm. is Hashem with us or am I in, or not? And then an Amalek came and attacked them. So on this, there is a, a Midrash which is absolutely just absolutely astounding and, and just so chilling. To what is the, is the matter likened, the sages of the Midrash say? This, this, this idea that the children of Israel, after all this, could say, is Hashem with us or not, right? See, this is just one of the most beautiful parables that I have ever heard, right? They say, this is like, there's a man, and he's carrying his, ch- his child on his shoulders, right? He's giving him a piggyback, he's hold- carrying him on his shoulders, and the child is sitting up there. The man is walking around holding on to the child's ankles like we've seen all the time, like a father carries his child. And the child is saying to everybody, where's my father? Where's my father? Have you seen my father? Have you seen my father? I don't know where he is. So they just say, that's what this is like, that Hashem is yeah. carrying them. And they're saying, have you seen Hashem? And then mm-hmm. Amalek came, because that's Amalek's job in the world is to get is to get that to get in that weak spot, in that flaw, and to exploit it, and to and to and to dig at the nerve at the nerve bundle, and to cause that that pain. Uh, Rabbi, and, this is this is how we go from from uh, uh, America uh, and and the allies of Israel cheering for your nation after the nineteen sixty seven war. Uh, I have an I have a a. a uh, an issue of Look Magazine, which was the competitor of Life Magazine, of Look Magazine from that week in 1967, when Israel beat off, uh, beat away five armies that attacked them. That is a miracle in itself. And the this publication owned by Time Incorporated is cheering on this victory of Israel against its enemies for an unprovoked attack. We've got we've gone from there to the nation of Iran threatening Israel with nuclear destruction. And they've said it over and over. So, so if someone wants to say, how, it, how did we go from 1967's celebration of Israel and their survival? How did we go from there up until nations are actually wanting to put your country in a world court yes. and use and use lies to accuse you of war crimes for defending yourself against exist, your enemies. Exactly, the ICC, yes. which I believe is the International Court of Criminals. Right. Or is and, it the International the Criminal thing. Court? They want to yeah. convict Israel of war crimes for the, right. for, for the crime of our existence. Right, and, and here's the point, to your point, how do we get how do we get to this situation you just explained it doubt the world at large and sadly some of those in israel have allowed doubt to creep into their mindsets and they've wondered well you know do you know that there are articles coming out in the last oh five or ten years where veterans of the 67 war are wondering if they were right in taking that action so uh, so Amalek is is alive and well in those who hate Israel and the culmination of their hatred is a nation like Iran. Now I want to I want to not to put too fine a point on this. I want to tell our gentle listeners that that uh that Israel wouldn't wouldn't have to take any kind of action to protect themselves if there were not people who were 
intent on literally wiping out the nation of uh, of Israel and really you know all all the Jews you know in this country we have we still have synagogues being attacked all the time but my point is this is that if in this period of of, of seeming sort of tranquility compared to people who are like beating the war drums to wipe out your nation um uh, how, how would how could how could the, the how could the Jewish people uh, carry out this command to blot out the name of of Amalek? It's simple, and it's there in the Torah. By living the kind of lives that that are spoken of in 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 Mishpatim, if if all of Israel today was living the way that God prescribes in Mishpatim, the nations would turn and that look at Israel and go. The, the, the Israel, the Jewish people living Torah lives will blot out the memory of Amalek. Yes, and especially because if we understand on a deep level what this clash is really all about, and I say they don't, they represent, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the obliteration of God. The idea is that that the, the, these are like two forces that are at odds with each other because Israel represents faith even when it appears that all hope is lost, and even when it appears in an, in an Amalekite way that the world is arbitrary, we maintain our faith. And it's that is beyond rhyme or reason, beyond uh, rationale. That's part of the, stick, the stiff-neckedness of Israel, is it's a stubbornness, it's a, it's, a, it's a faith. And Amalek is the opposite of that. And that's what, and, 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 and because Amalek is like a, a, this is what I'm saying is this is like an eternal war of faith against heresy. It's a, it's a war of godly forces of those that want to be the bearers of light in this world against those who stand for doubts. And I want you to know Amalek is alive and, war, and, and well all over the world because yeah. all those leaders and governments and, and social influencers and all, all the people that are feeding doubts this is part of the seed of amalek it's 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 it, it it its goal is to make the world indifferent to make the world numb not to be to be cool not to be excited about being uh, about god being in the world and the idea basically is that is that this concept of the eradication of amalek it applies at all times in every generation and within every individual. So don't worry. The, the Torah is not commanding us to destroy a people here. The Torah might be commanding us to purge ourselves. There's, a, there's an inner battle that's no different than any external uh, eradication of Amalek. Because again, the normal equivalent of the word is the same as the word suffolk. And, and we all have legitimate doubts. But the idea is that we, we have to know that that this spirit is trying to drive a wedge between between us and our higher root soul and uh, and 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 to uh, it's like the the polar opposite of faith is amalek because because amalek wants to uproot god from the world and since it can't uproot god from the world and this is what you were saying jim what does it try to do it tries to uproot god's representatives on earth which is which is which is israel and and Amalek is just hating for the sake of hate. It's that's why it is defined as evil itself. And uh, it's interesting that I think that that um, parable that I mentioned about the father carrying 
the child on his back. Because I think when you think about it, what the sages might be doing is they might actually, in a kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way, they might be parodying, parodying the the fact that. Um, everybody knows that that's, that during childhood, sometimes uh, you know, like a, a child, uh, every every child has a fantasy. One time, maybe my parents are not my real parents. <laughs> you know, it's like a, it's a very famous um, I, I, a concept. You know, like on primetime television, of like a kid a kid thinking, you know, you're not my real parents. I must be adopted. I think the sages are making a parody of of that common psychological conundrum by saying this child is saying where where is where is my my um, my father. So, in other words, a, a child might feel somewhat alienated, and and he might build all sorts of uh, theories about about that. The same thing with Amalek. Amalek finds your weak spot, and he creates doubt doubts in in faith, and it's not based on anything, but it causes the world to be plunged into chaos because because of this week's Torah portion, because the, the because Hashem's goal is based on faith. It's based on our wanting him to be in this world and to go forward with the mission of, of man, of bringing Hashem into the world. So this is the whole, the whole issue. How, like I said, how do we deal with a malik? You know, how, what, what is this, this struggle all about? How do we, how do we obliterate the memory of, uh, of a malik? And it, it it only comes about through our through the clarity of our vision, which is which is faith. And by the way, that also crescendos on on Purim because on Purim, when I when like you say, Hashem's name is not even mentioned in the scroll, but yet there's this tremendous clarity that there is no coincidence that everything is really from Hashem, and and the 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 way that we can, especially in these days, again when we're all being. And you know, Jim, there's so much that I want to say about this situation, and I won't. You know that I won't. We've spoken about this. I'm being very careful, but there's so much doubt that is being used against each and every one of us as a weapon. We are, we are, we are under an onslaught of of a, of a campaign of doubt, which is designed no less for, for no less a person a purpose than actually uh, hiding Hashem's presence in the world. And that's why that's why these themes here of of Parshat Truma, of the building of the of the temple, and of and of the obliteration of Amalek, that's why they're so totally relevant to what is going on now. And that's why everything that every word that we're talking about today is so relevant to every person who loves Hashem, Jew and non-Jew, to all of our listeners in the world of Jerusalem Lights, of Torah for everyone, of the of the in our united humanity in Torah, because our biggest test now is about faith. It's yeah. about not allowing the the wave of this dystopian vision of of um, this world run amok, not allowing it to to wash over us. We're being called. Right. We're being we're being called because uh, because what's going on here is that a malik is standing in the way and whispering to everybody. You know what? Maybe they the, maybe it's just just the way it is. This is nature. This is going to happen. There's nothing divine. There'll be another pandemic, and there'll be another mutation. There'll be another pandemic, and this is the new normal. And listen to what they tell you. I better stop myself here, Jim. You know I have to be careful here. Listen to what they tell you. There's no divinity in the world. And you know what? This is so real. This battle is so yeah. real. Well, you know, the, the broader lesson of, of Parsha Terumah is th- this is where 
you answer the scoffers out there in the world that say, well, you know, Judaism and the Torah, it's all about legalism. And, and it, 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 you know, how can you, how can living very specific commandments in your life, how can that be holiness? And, and the, the Mishkan, the, this holy bro- blueprint is the model for a godly life. And, and, and God is saying, for those who, who say, who look up in the heavens and say, God, you know, how can I live a holy life? Basically, the, for, for the Jewish people, it is it is simple as following the 613 mitzvot, which are very specific. The same way a blueprint is very specific about how a house, this holy house, is supposed to come together. You have a foundation, you have the walls, and if you build it right, it will stand. And in the same way, God's people have to live by the same building laws, if you will. Uh, our blueprint uh, for for living lives that uh, that make us uh, a, a place where God wants to dwell are, are the commandments. For the non-Jews, it's a simple seven. If you want to join the the, the priesthood and 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 uh, be a part of of an even more extreme uh, experience with, with God. Uh, that, that you're required to live uh, more extremely. Uh, God tells Israel to gather these specific materials to build it according to this plan. And this is, to me, this is the whole lesson. And that came from, it's right there at the creation of, of mankind when he says, let us make man in our image. And that is by following his specific instructions, just like you would a blueprint, especially Israel, by living according to this blueprint called the Torah, you can elevate the physical state into a place of holy habitation for the service of Hashem. Exactly. And I maintain that the same applies to to everyone, to non-Jews as well, that, of course, everyone according to their level of observance, but the greatest single test that all of us have today is to is to be the finger in the dike, is to hold back this this rising tide of doubt, this rising tide of obliterating the presence of God from the world that is that is literally beamed at us at high frequency mm-hmm. from every from every source of energy in the world is beaming at us that we should basically just disintegrate as our fall apart that we 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 are being bombarded with a message uh and the message is the opposite of bringing hashem in the world the the message is basically the unraveling of of the divine image in which we were created and just like like you were talking about once just follow your heart just follow your heart if your heart you know your heart tells you that you know if, if listen to science you know when it comes to the vaccination but if you know science tells you that you're a boy and you feel like you're a girl so then you're a girl you know follow your heart <laughs> follow your heart yeah uh, don't you the, yeah i was gonna say don't you think that um for people and i know you've been asked this a lot in the past uh, people have asked you rabbi when is the third temple going to be built and i think the juxtaposition the placement of mishpatim right before teruma mishpatim is about living life according to Torah for Israel, and Terimah is all about building the temple. And wouldn't this be the answer to those that ask that, is that when Israel as a nation and a people begin to pursue the kind of justice and the kind of life that is laid out very plainly in Mishpatim, then they can follow the directive 
of Taruma? I am not looking for any mystical answer or divine intervention or or a supernatural event to um, to uh, jumpstart. It's not going to drop out of heaven. No, no, I am not looking for anything supernatural uh, or or in any way divine, divinely um, oriented to jumpstart the building of the temple. I am thinking that. Um, Someone is going to someone, and it could be the entire body of Israel. It can be, and it, whatever, however, it's going to be, Jim. Like you and I were speaking before, before we began to record today, we're coming to a breaking point. Israel is coming to a breaking point where basically it, we have to make decisions about who we are and what we're going to be accomplishing, and um, it's part of an ongoing process that is coming to a head. It's a spiritual revolution that is growing stronger and stronger. And when we get to this point of critical mass and we um, kind of re refocus on who we are and what our mission is, it's going to happen. And I think that it's, it's closer than it's ever been. I think it's, it's more relevant uh, and understood to be more relevant by more people in Israel than ever before, and it's going to happen. Yeah, and and and, and don't doubt it. <laughs> don't doubt it. It's it's going to happen. And uh, and it is the spiritual center for all mankind. And just we need to study Isaiah and look at the incredible prophecies, the promises that Hashem made about the unity of all humanity, about this, I like to call it this incredible vision of this family reunion of the family of mankind coming up to the temple, learning about Hashem, experiencing uh, this um, renewal of the joy of living and understanding the eternity of the soul and through everything going on in the temple, understanding that this world as we perceive it is not the truth, but there is a, a, per, a permanent, eternal world of of truth, which this world is is uh, hiding from us, and that the the only true reality is Hashem Himself. Amen. So I want to wish all of our listeners, Jim, a wonderful Torah reading this Shabbat of Truma. And, uh, and a wonderful obliteration of the Amalek within each and every one of us. That we must purge ourselves of, of the voice that tries to bring us down and that tries to keep us in, in fear and keep us in doubts. And we need to focus and remember how much Hashem wants to be in this world with us. That's his, that's his dream come true. This Parsha, this Torah portion is Hashem's dream to be welcomed into this world. He says, make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell among you.